Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With shoppers buying everything online these days, getting those holiday gifts for family and friends is going to be harder than ever. But no need to worry because our friends at Seattle Shirt Company have got us covered. Jay and the team have an unbelievable selection of NFL and NBA jerseys for everyone on your list. These jerseys are 100% authentic, from current superstars like LeBron James to the all-time legends like Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Walter Payton. Seattle Shirt Company has it all. And right now, for our listeners, we have a special one-time only pre-Black Friday Cyber Monday deal. Everything you buy at seattleshirt.com is 30% off. So head to seattleshirt.com and enter the code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for 30% off your entire order. Shipping is always free. Seattle Shirt Company, helping you get ready for the holidays a little bit early. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Networks. If you listen to this podcast, you know that we try to bring you conversations with experts in the field of sports, typically in the basketball world, someone who can share stories, experiences, memories, knowledge, regardless of level. Today's was a tremendous high school coach in the state of Washington for a number of years, won three state titles, including a difficult feat of a back-to-back state tournament titles with Mount Vernon Bulldogs in 91-92. Also spent some time in Stevenson in the Columbia River Gorge Coach Mac Frazier. Mac, how goes life in the northwest corner of the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, it goes very well. Uh, I've been retired for just a couple of years now, and uh, that, that sheds a whole new light on things, but I have no complaints. You know, I've, I've gotten to know a, a number of your former players um, through my basketball experiences, and they've shared with me just how instrumental – that you were in their careers. Um, they, they mentioned to me that you were a relationship-driven coach that was very passionate about learning the game and teaching the game through those relationships. Every coach is different in how they come to love the game and then view how they teach the game. How did your philosophy come about? My philosophy of loving the game of basketball? Yeah, I- loving the game of basketball and then teaching how to care for others through that love of the game? Well, shoot, I'd have to go back all the way to when I was in grade school. Um, For some reason, I just loved basketball. I just took to it. Uh, Like a lot of young men, I think at that time, my room was wallpapered with every single basketball player picture I could find. Um, And I made a deal with my parents at if I didn't miss school for any reason, all the way from September to the last day of school, then I could get the flu during the state tournament 
and my mom and dad would let me leave school and take me to the tournament um, for three days in March. So I never missed. I never missed except for those three days. And then I got the flu, quote, and we had it over there, and we spent all day, every day watching those games. And um, that's what I – for some reason, that's what I wanted to do. I watched the coaches. I watched the players. And all I wanted to do was play in that tournament, uh, coach in that tournament somehow, be a part of those things. And my dad was a athletic supply salesman. And so wherever we'd sit, it was kind of like coach's corner in the southwest corner of Heck Ed. That's where a lot of coaches sat. So I'd sit with my dad. And I thought these guys were, back then I didn't know the term, but I thought they were just rock stars. I, I couldn't believe the different people that were there. And then I'd watch the games, and, and I wanted to be a part of all of that. And the more I coached, or the more I got into basketball, the more I wanted to know the stories of the people. I, I don't think... I mean, I enjoyed it, but I didn't want to come up with the world's greatest out-of-bounds play or the world's greatest offense um, because I thought a lot of people smarter than me had done it before me and I could pick and choose things. But I did want to figure out how to, how to, how to make the team more important than the individual, how to have people work as a group together. And I thought – that was really important. I guess even from an early age, way back then, my goal was to be a coach and and a teacher. And um, I just started looking at things that way. And, you know, <laughs> I tell this story on myself to some of my friends is I was getting ready. I, I played at Centralia College for a year and then I was going to go on and I thought you had to have a, like a coaching minor to be a coach. Well, there were two places that had coaching minors, San Jose State and Washington State. So I didn't think you could be a coach unless you had gotten a minor in it. So I decided to go to Washington State, and that's how I got there. And I've been – our family's been a, a Husky season football ticket holder since 1960, <laughs> and I didn't know what – was going on, but I thought, oh, if I want to be a coach, I've got to go there. And I really enjoyed those those 15 hours that I took, but it's kind of funny. I didn't really need to do that, but it, there was a lot of coaching ideas that came out of there, uh, especially about philosophy and those sort of things that, that really did help me along the way. A lot of people that listen to this podcast are obviously from the state of Washington, and there's that rivalry. Sometimes it's friendly, sometimes not. Cougars versus Huskies. You mentioned kind of having to uh, go to the eastern side of the state and, and, and get that minor degree um, in regards to what you thought was necessary to coach. You've coached players that played for both basketball programs. Mark Hendrickson at Washington State, Grant Leap at the University of Washington. When you as a high school coach were going through that helping of those players navigate their recruiting process. Did you try to push them one direction or the other, or what did you feel your role was as a high school coach in that process? Well, my role was, I thought, to not push them anywhere, to give them and their families the best advice I could possibly come up with 
Um, <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned Marks because I wouldn't want to mention any names, but there were a couple of uh, Pac-10, there was Pac-10 back then, coaches that weren't very pleased that Mark had decided that he wasn't going to go there. And so they took it out on me. And I thought that was quite the introduction to Pac-10 coaches and what could go on behind the scenes and, and that sort of stuff. And I can remember getting off the phone with one and I was looking at my wife going, you know, I, I think he was drunk, but I kind of hope he was because, because he just lit me up because Mark, I, you know, now I would have them make a call, but I did it for Mark and, and uh, maybe Mark has sensed that uh, that might happen. But uh, my, my role was to tell them as much as I possibly could, gather as much information as I possibly could about the programs, the coaches, and where each one would fit. And, uh, you know, uh, I remember Tim Caviezel went to the University of Washington. And I can remember telling Tim, I, I said, you know, you're, I don't know if pass the ball here, take two steps, set a screen, and then cut to the basket is going to work for you. You're more of a wide open type player. But he and his family, you know, they'd grown up going to Husky games and that was where he had his heart set. But I, I kind of one time thought that maybe I should have been a little bit more direct saying, I think you really need to look for a more style of play. And he eventually, you know, went to Long Beach State and finished up at Western and, and had a good career. And he was just a wonderful player. I mean, he really, really was. Um, with Mark, you know, Kelvin Sampson uh, is a heck of a coach, a heck of a recruiter, a, a dynamic guy. So I think Mark was really, uh, he was well recruited by them. I mean, their assistants were on our campus eating lunch with Mark and his friends as often as they possibly could. They just did a great job of, of recruiting him. Um, you know, Grant Leap, uh, he could have gone many places, but I think he too saw University of Washington as real, an excellent place to be and a good place to be for him. And after all, he met his wife there. So I think if he had to do it all over again, that's exactly where he'd go back and play. So with him, I just tried to, you know, it's funny because maybe uh, parents need, back then they wanted a lot of information. They wanted to ask. And I'm not sure now if parents want to ask for a lot of help. They Things have changed a bit, and so a lot of parents now think they have too many of the answers without asking for some help and trying to figure out uh, a different way or a new way of, of um, getting some information. But I had no trouble with uh, Brian Whitehead, also played for us and went to Washington State. Um, I had no problem sending anybody anywhere that that was the best place for him. So no, it didn't, it didn't affect what I told him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I love hearing kind of stories of, of how high school coaches can, um, help players and parents navigate the recruiting process. I think it's very necessary that they're involved in the process. And too many times these days I hear that AAU coaches and program directors are spearheading it. I, I think it should be a combination of the two um, because quite frankly, the high school coaches around them uh, almost on a day-to-day -day basis because of 
being in building at the school and they've seen the kid in multiple settings as opposed to just around a quote unquote select or elite group of players. Uh, so I think it needs to be kind of in the way that you, you've described it. I want to touch well, a little I, bit more. Sorry, go ahead, Mac. Oh, I was just going to agree with you completely on that. That I think that's really important. Not that as coaches, we think we need to be involved or should be. It's just that um, parents, you know, especially parents now, Dan, they see D1 and that's, that's it. And they, that's what they think their child should be striving for. And really, it should be a good fit, whether it's D2, D3 even. Um, there's a lot of good programs at all those levels. And D1, I don't think, should be the only thing a, a, a player is striving for. Absolutely. There are so many uh, great programs across the country at, at levels other than Division One, And there's a lot of those particularly here in the Northwest that players here uh, in the state of Washington, Oregon, Idaho, um, really would have a, a, a really good uh, impression upon if they were to look a little bit deeper at some of these programs. One of the players that you did mention, um, Mark Hendrickson, went to Washington State as a two-sport two athlete, was one of very few guys to play professionally in the NBA as well as Major League Baseball. A lot of people think he might be the greatest athlete of all time in the state of Washington. What was it like to coach somebody like Mark who was so talented yet when I had a chance to talk to him uh, for the ISO podcast a few months back, he talked about team almost as much as he talked about some of his individual opportunities uh, or memories or highlights that he created. He was uh, really sold on what the team aspect did for him and his approach to help him re achieve his achievements? Well, I, he was a delight to coach. You know, I've often said, you know, one thing about Mark, he never even had a bad practice. You could come in the locker room and you know what high school locker rooms are like, people would be fooling around and Mark would be kind of focused, just getting ready to go have a good practice. Um, and then, you know, I, can, I can't tell you the amount of times I'd be going over like an out-of-bounds play or a press break or something like that, and we'd put it in on a Wednesday, and on Thursday we'd be going over it, and then I'd be talking about it. He'd walk by me and go, uh, phrase yesterday, the, the guard went that way, not this way. What do you want us to do? <laughs> and I'd go, I'd go, yeah, Mark, you're right, you're right. We're going to go exactly – However you think we should go, that's the whatever worked best, that's what we're going to do. And, um, you know, honestly, in today's world, as a freshman, Mark was the starting point guard on, on the um, C team, the freshman team. I mean, he fit in well there, and I, I could have moved him up. Um, he, his father had passed away at a very young age, and his mother was a real dynamic force in his life, and she always said that, all of his coaches in the different sports were an important part of his life growing up too. And he, but not a word about, Hey, uh, shouldn't I be moved up? Shouldn't I be moved up? And he was like a six, one, six, two point guard. Cause he was smarter than heck knew how to play. And then all of a sudden then the sophomore year, he's like six, five. And he, he started on the next three years. He started every single game. We played in three straight, state championship games he had a good group around him 
that cared a lot about the team. And I can still remember, you know, we won as, as their junior year. And then as a senior year, we won again. And I can still remember the Mark's uh, tears in his eyes because he said after the game that he knew basketball was never going to be quite like that again, that he was going to play with nothing but, oh, Cindy, he went out of, I can't see him. He went out of, can you see your me, Dan? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, he we, went, can edit, we can edit uh, anything out, but yeah, I got you. Okay. I just, I can't see you now is what I was going to say. So uh, he knew that was the last time that he felt he was going to play with that type of total backing by the community, 100% backing, uh, playing with friends and friendships, people he knew his whole life. You know, Mark was a product of all the Mount Vernon programs, educationally, sports-wise, everything. And he just really felt like being a part of a team was really important to him. When we, we went to, a, to basketball camp and we went and lived in a room in a big house together at seaside and mark was going to the nike abcd camp and mark said do you think i should go to the camp and i said you know mark uh we're gonna go it's our only time to go as a team he goes i think he goes no no do you think i should go to the nike camp because i think i want to go with our team and i said mark you gotta go to the Nike ABCD camp. You're gonna be seen by everyone, anyone that's involved in basketball. You've got to do this. And he and his he and his mother um, uh, made arrangements. So we were out at the camp. We were having a great time out at Seaside. Uh, my assistant coach. We were all living together in this great big house. And Mark and his mom prepared so that he left a day early from Nike ABCD camp. He flew into Portland. She came down from Mount Vernon, picked him up. She drove him out to Seaside. He greeted us in the morning. He was—he had his bags all ready to spend the rest of the time with us. And we played the rest of the camp. We had a great camp. How many kids would do that? How many kids would leave a camp like the Nike ABCD camp to come basically to hang out with his friends? That's what he wanted to do. I mean, he, he, it was, it was never all about him. It was about the team and what he could add to the team. And when your best player is your best basketball player, and when he takes it seriously like that, what is anyone else going to do? They're going to follow along because it would be ridiculous for him not to, you know. And he was, and he was such a competitive kid too. I can remember there was one season, I forget which year it was, we were, I think it was his junior year, and we were like, 10 and one and we're getting ready to play Burlington. Who's our absolute biggest rival. Nothing's bigger than, you know, going across the bridge. And it was Thursday before Friday's game. And I was really on them in practice. We're just really on them. And so we ended practice, started to walk off the court and I felt this big arm around my shoulders, you know, and I looked up and it was Mark and he goes, phrase, you just got to relax. You got to relax. I go, Mark, it's Burlington. He goes, yeah, I know it's Burlington. Just relax. It's Burlington. And I kind of looked at him. And the next night, there was about a minute to go in the game. I'm sitting there, you know, coaching still. 
and this big arm goes around my shoulder on the bench. And I look, and it's Mark again. And he goes, see, Phrase, I told you. It's Burlington. And I looked, he goes, just look. And I looked up the score clock, and it was 99 to 60. And I go, okay, Mark, you know, I got you. I got you. <laughs> you know, he just had that calming influence on everybody. Like, we're all going to play better. This is going to get done. And that's, that's how he was. You know, I could talk forever about games that he played awesomely, offensively, defensively, all that stuff. But it's all those other things that I think really made him that the player that he was. And like you're right, I think there's only 12 or 13 human beings that have played professional baseball, professional basketball. It just tells you a little bit about him, you know. Tremendous stories that you share about him being such a good player, but also being such a great teammate and a great person. And those are players that coaches like yourself uh, hope to have the opportunity to coach at some point in their career. You've had a number of them from what I know, because you've coached a number of guys that as mentioned, have gone on to play at the, at the college level. When you look at the state titles that you won, you won the back-to-back that you mentioned with Mark Hendrickson you also won a title in 01 with, with a trio of Division I guards and wings. Um, but you've been around the state of Washington for a number of years. And, and as you mentioned, as from a young age, you would go to the state tournament, you would watch games. Your team in 91 and 92 would probably be up there with a lot of people's thoughts with this next question that I ask is, what is the best team that you have ever seen in the state of Washington, knowing that there's been quite a few really good ones? Well, I'm not going to count mine in, I guess, but I think, I think, I think we had some very, very good teams there. And I think basically it was because the young man really wanted to be a part of something, but some of the, you know, I, I played in the Metro league and I went to Ballard, but still, I think the 75 Garfield team, as, a, as an ex-player, as a future coach, I just thought they were, they were, they had an awful lot of things going for them. <clears throat> they had toughness. They had skill. Um, they just had an awful lot of everything you need to win this win a lot of games. Um, you know, they had Keith Harrell. They had, um, you know, Fan, uh, Fernando Amortegui was their coach and just did a great job with them. Um, they just had, you know, they had the point guard. They had the the tough power guys. They were just really very good. I guess I could say um, the 69 Ingram Rams, but at Ballard, we took them to overtime once, so maybe they weren't as good as that. But, um, you know, H- Hudson's Bay, I remember watching them with those terrible, like, Tiger socks, and they had Craig Raymond. They were very good. I guess that goes back a little bit, a few back, a few ways back. But some of those Garfield teams were so good. The Blanchett teams with um, Tom Workman were very good. The Renton Indian teams with um, – Willemborg and uh, Everett Sutphin and uh, Tim Cousins. You know, Tim Cousins went on, played at Idaho. Um, they were very good. Um, but then you've got to come up to, I don't know what you would call it, but some of the Rainier Beach teams have been very good. Um, you know, I think the Mercer Island teams were 
were good, but they I, they always seemed to me to be better as a group than they were with individuals. But you know, they they obviously had some. The Haas brothers were very good. Um, you know, and I hate to say that teams weren't good unless they won the state championship, because there have been some very good teams that maybe. In fact, we did that the year before 2001. We uh, went up. Uh, we lost, I don't know, not not much, and uh, got all the way to the championship game. So it's an interesting argument. It's really a, a fun argument. I have to get my collection of state programs out to go through and figure out everything. Um, but I think it's a fun argument just because if you have some uh, uh, background of how good basketball has been, um, then it's it's really interesting. And, I, you know, now, like uh, Paulo Banchero, you can't really, you know, he's not going to get hidden up, like you say, in the northwest corner of the state, where years ago they might have. Um, now, back then, you know, people just wouldn't have found out as much about him. But now uh, players get found out um, a lot because everybody's kind of, looking in the same area for, for a player or two. I love the the knowledge that you have for, for the, the history of the game of the state in the state and the reverence. It's, it's awesome to hear. Um, you, you mentioned Ed Peppel. Un- unfortunately, uh, Ed passed uh, a month or so back. Uh, SB Live, we, we did a, a podcast where we talked to a number of former players uh, or coaching opponents uh, about Ed Peppel and the influence that he had on the state of Washington in high school basketball. Did you have any um, monumental kind of games or battles against Mercer Island and Ed Peppel? Well, we lost the state championship to them a, a week after beating them in the district championship. So in my mind, that was monumental, and it remains monumental. Um, our two of our starters fouled out in that game. There was a questionable charging call in that game, but those are always questionable calls. Um, and I just felt terrible for our team losing that game. Um, we, you know, I'll say something to one of our players and they'll remind me, Hey, but we beat them one year. We beat them this game. We beat them that game. So I think we were pretty even in our games against Mercer Island. Um, I know that in 2001, uh, that was quite a run through the state tournament because we beat Mercer Island, Seattle Prep, O'Day, and Rainier Beach. Those were our four opponents. And I look at that, and they had all won the state championship just in the past years or so. And I look at, at what we did then as really being some excellent basketball because you had to play against shoot, they were all, they're all Hall of Fame coaches um, and excellent programs back to back to back to back. And so I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. And we, we beat Mercer Island in that run. But the championship game, they beat us. Um, I, I said this to somebody right after he passed, too, is that, you know, the red, the red and white ball, the um, – the summer tournaments, the Blazers, shoot, that, I mean, we all wanted to do stuff like that. And if we didn't want to, we should have got started doing it because it was cool. You know, it, it was, kids thought it was neat. 
I don't think those kids ever went out to warm up with that red and white ball thinking this is stupid. Oh, no. No, they thought, hey, we're going to do our tip drill, and the last guy's going to put it in the basket, and you better not screw it up because that's Mercer Island, and that's how we're going to do this. You know, I can still remember at Stevenson, our, our kids were so pumped because we started to travel when I became the head coach during the summertime, and we played Mercer Island at the Port Townsend tournament. Ed Peppel was there, and our kids just couldn't wait. We lost, but it was just like – basket or two i mean we were a single a team they were one of the best in the state and our kids really looked at that as a challenge and i think i i don't want to talk about any other coaches but i think he set the bar high and everybody should have tried to reach it rather than go well i'm not going to spend my time in the summer okay it was a different time then 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 i don't think you really want to be the best coach you can possibly be and give your um, athletes the chance to be the best they can possibly if you're not going to put in that time and that sort of effort too. So those sort of things I think are kind of sour grapes. You know, maybe I just didn't have any problem with him. I, he wanted to win. He wanted to compete. And you better want those things too. Absolutely. I, I'm in the same way. You got to compete. You got to want to win. In regards to that 1997 season that you talk about, you beat them in the district tournament. They beat you in the state title. Unfortunately for me and my Prairie Falcons that year, <laughs> they beat us in the semis. Otherwise, you and I would be having a little different conversation about go battling each other uh, for a state title. Um, so those definitely bring back some, some good memories for me and hopefully great ones for you. Last question, Coach, before I, I let you go. And, and you're somebody that, uh, as I had mentioned when we started the conversation, you have former players that, that – love to play for you. You have former players that uh, sent me messages like, hey, I'd love to hear his take on this or that or the other. And, and I've tried to weave some of those thoughts and questions in. But at the end of the day, you were a tremendous high school coach and mentor for a lot of kids. What did you view your role as a high school coach to truly be? Well, uh, my mom told me a long time ago that everyone is someone. And when I, the worst coaching days of my life were the ones where I had to cut. I hated that. I hated looking at young men and seeing them in tears and telling them I had to make the decision that they weren't going to be a part of this. So my goal was to make our programs, the most important program, the most important class, the most important group of people they were ever around in their four years of high school. I wanted them to look back on not, not just basketball, but everything we were doing is where they had the most fun, where they learned the most things. Uh, that's why we always went away for a basketball camp for at least a week. I, and I tried to make that as much fun as it possibly could be for them. Um, it's why we did, you know, we always went to a Husky game, a bus, and the, the athletic director would say, hey, you got you to gotta have that big a bus? And I said, we're going to take everybody in the program. We're taking all the managers, all the freshman players. Um, you know, Mount Vernon is, uh, has, some, has some very interesting, wonderful diversity. And there are kids that have never seen a college. 
let alone seeing a college basketball game. And so I wanted them to have a part in that. I wanted them to, to see what was going on. And so I wanted every kid that, especially those that went through all four years, to have um, had a wonderful experience, one that they could brag when they were 40 or 50 and look back and go, hey, basketball at Mount Vernon was really a lot of fun. I met lifelong friends. I had made lifelong friends, uh, people that are going to be in my wedding. They're going to always be a part of my life. And, and I wanted that to be that way forever. And I was so lucky in that going through that with my assistant coaches or our players, I, I made lifelong friends. I mean, you know, I've got like the team you just mentioned, Grant Lee, Scotty Collins, um, Nick Lind, Don Holloman, those kids, you know, I always think of the team. People always say, how do you keep the teams separate? And I keep them separate by the seniors on the team. So I can, I can always look at those groups. Were they good leaders? Did they do a good job? Did they want to be a part of everything? And I, and I just hope that, uh, that they feel that they learn from our, all our assistant coaches and, and the experiences we had. Um, that, you know, I'd like to do that sort of stuff, be involved in that. And we do have a lot of kids that I still call them kids, a lot of students, athletes that, that went through Mount Vernon that have coached a lot. They're coaching their own children's youth teams or they went to their coaching in high school or some coaching in college or giving individual instruction. And I hope they learn some things about how to treat people well and how to make sure that everybody's involved in everything that's going on. You know, I can remember one of the things that after wins and we're coming home on the bus after wins, right about the Kincaid exit, uh, we had five songs that they would sing. And I can still remember, you know, freshmen getting on the bus and going, well, are we going to sing? Are we going to sing? You know, and they would be asking the varsity guys because they had heard about it. And the varsity guys would play it cool and say, hey, you just keep facing the front of the bus. Don't turn around. Yeah, we're going to sing. Don't worry. And then somebody would start, and then the whole bus would be just – singing at the top of their lungs on the way up. We had like four or five songs and sang. And that included assistant coaches, cheerleaders, or not cheerleaders, but the managers, uh, all the kids on the team, even the freshmen who had, who had learned what the words were. And it was just kind of, it was, it was, it was another thing to make us kind of a group, you know, a group, uh, kind of a, uh, of a team uh, of, that, that people wanted to be a part of that. And we would have, you know, team dinners where everybody would go and, and that sort of stuff. And at the start with the team dinners, I can remember I, I brought a videotape. We watched a little bit. And I thought, you know, it's really not for that. It's for us to see how people live. It's for them to see how we act. And we just went, had fun, and stayed and hung out and that sort of stuff. So I was just provided, trying to provide an area where people – got together, whether it was on the practice floor or um, I think our Saturday mornings were always good. You know, um, I think a lot, nobody wanted to get up at that hour, but I think when the kids didn't have to go to school and then practice was over and they could shoot around or talk, I think they liked those sort of things too. So I guess I would say I hope it was a place where they felt like um, we can have fun, we can be honest, we can ask for help, we can – um, be around people we enjoy. We can find someone to talk to. And I hope that's what they took away.
Well, Coach, you've had a tremendous impact, obviously, on that Mount Vernon community. Uh, you've had a big impact on the state of Washington, a high school basketball community. And hearing your passion for the state's basketball history has been fun for me to hear today. So for the ISO podcast and SB Live Sports, I've been your host today, Dan Dickout. Our guest today, longtime Mount Vernon coach, Mac Frazier. The ISO with Dan Dickow in SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.